Welcome to Cold Water Hot Coffee, disciplines for starting your day with clarity and purpose. I'm Nate Scharf. I'm your host. If you've been looking for ways to get inspired, if you've been looking for a way to get your head off your pillow in the morning without groaning, if you question why you're here or what you're doing or how you ended up with the life you're living, you've come to the right place. This podcast exists to invigorate your mood and clarify your mission. Welcome to Cold Water Hot Coffee, a cold slap start to your day to get you awake and alive. This is episode five. Our topic title is Moving Through Resistance. Let's get started. In episode four, our last episode, we discussed the clarity and power of remembering who we are and how it can keep us grounded in times of fear and challenge. In this episode, episode five, we're going to talk about resistance, the mental quicksand that keeps us from moving forward from where we are to where we want to be. It's a common predicament. I'm here, but I want to be there. Most of us have a vision of a higher version of ourselves. We want to be more fit, better finances, deeper relationships, more community, or maybe we just want to change it up, live somewhere else. Whatever the goal is, we start on a new path. We're motivated, we're making progress, but we are often most impatient with ourselves. We set unrealistic goals, and we really don't treat ourselves very kindly as we work towards our goals. Those old neural pathways of comfortable habits can start talking to your ego when we're trying to make change. Those pathways will say things like, this isn't you. You don't really deserve this. You don't belong here. You should go back to who you were. This is too hard. Do you really want this? What you're aspiring to is filled with materialistic and phony people. Why would you want to be like that? Take a break. Be content with where you're at, etc., etc. The ego will offer up much resistance and send us many mental warning signs to try to get us to stop with our change. What if we could let go of focusing on the result of our change and instead being on a path of change itself be its own reward? In other words, what if we focus on the journey and not the outcome? What if instead we believe that we're already living our new version of ourselves and we're just waiting for the world to catch up with us? Author and speaker Joe Dispenza, he describes this vision work in his book, Break the Habit of Being Yourself. Dr. Dispenza talks about having a higher vision of self that is so clear and it attaches such powerful positive emotions to it that you're simply too excited to even have any mental space for resistance. As a result, you start living that new version of yourself. In other words, you don't need permission or training to start moving into this new version of yourself. When you are aligned energetically towards a new reality, the universe always responds. The universe wants to balance energy. If you add energy somewhere else, it takes it away from somewhere else. So your new energy and thoughts focused and aligned with powerful positive emotions and the excitement of a new reality, it's going to move energy away from your old negative thought patterns and into the new higher version of yourself. So what causes resistance? Of course, we have to remember that resistance 
starts with our feelings. And then the thoughts that we attach to those feelings. We start oftentimes by maybe feeling tired. And then we can attach all types of thoughts to that feeling of being tired. A thought might be, this is too hard. I'm kidding myself. I don't belong here. This is a waste of time, etc., etc. In an earlier episode, we discussed that we can actually transcend our feelings and our thoughts. We're not beholden to our feelings and thoughts. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about repressing your feelings or your thoughts, and I'm not talking about grinding and pushing and efforting when you're actually feeling exhausted. What I want us to ask ourselves is, can we move past a feeling? Do we actually need rest, or am I feeling tired simply because my ego wants us to go back to how it was? Sometimes, quote, I'm tired, quote, is a false flare shot into our consciousness by our ego in an attempt to get us back to who we were. We know how it can be on a Friday evening. We get home, we're tired, we crash on the couch, and we just don't want to go anywhere. And then an old friend calls who's in from out of town, and suddenly you're super excited to see that person, and an untapped wealth of energy suddenly springs into your body. Sometimes, we can make an energetic choice. It takes time to build new neural pathways. It takes mental discipline to focus on our higher vision. We have to be warriors with defending our mental landscape. When negative feelings and the associated thoughts creep in like an icy draft, we have to break the pattern right then, right there. You can take many paths to break that pattern. You can chant a positive affirmation, such as, I want to live a full and abundant life. Or you could say, higher ground, higher ground, I am moving to higher ground. You can pick a favorite song passage. Whatever it is, chant it out, belt it out, break the pattern. The key here is to pattern interrupt those negative thoughts. Go for a walk, listen to music, take a cold shower, go for a run, go for a swim. Turn off the negative channel and get back to the positive good vibrations channel. Do whatever you need to do to squelch those negative thoughts. This takes discipline. However, over time, your negative neural pathways, they will wither away because they've been overpowered by these shiny new positive neural pathways. Essentially, we can rewire our brain. Self-help author Sherry Huber has an excellent book on overcoming resistance. It's titled, I don't want to, I don't feel like it. In this book, Sherry uses Zen philosophies and practices to help us focus on getting present. And by being absolutely present, we drop the negative ego-based monkey mind that wants to fill our heads with doom, gloom, and worst case scenarios. Check out her book. It's got some wonderful, simple practices that can help you drop negative thought patterns. When we can drop thinking entirely and be fully present, our path becomes clear. Our path becomes easy. We simply move into action without any resistance. This is the place of non-efforting. This is the place where we connect to our creative energies. This is the realm of clarity and purpose. Another book that can help us move into the flow state of creative energy is The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity. This book is a classic. It was written in 1992 
by self-help author Julia Cameron. Julia has a series of exercises and practices to help you move into the creative flow state. It really works. I highly suggest reading Julia's book. Now, I want to share two personal examples of periods in my life when I was moved towards change and had to deal with some significant resistance. The first example is about my career, and the second example is about my health. Back in 2018, I decided to make a career change. I had spent 12 years working at a community college in San Diego. The college was a long commute from my home, but the hours were minimal, the work was easy, expectations were low, I was comfortable, I had tenure, but I was really bored and unmotivated. I wanted to be challenged and inspired. And as a single parent, I was struggling financially and this college did not pay well. My dream job was to work at a different college, closer to my home and with a much higher pay base. Openings were rare at this college. With persistence, I eventually landed a night class at this college and amazingly, a full-time position in the business department I taught in was posted that same semester. Opportunity. I went after it like a badger. The hiring process at community colleges is quite intense. Lots of documents, rounds of panel interviews, equal employment opportunity practices. I knew that I wanted more financial security for me and my sons. I also wanted to prove to myself and my sons that I could step up my professional game. I believed I deserved more. This was a growth challenge, and I just couldn't say no to it. So I submitted my documents and was surprised to land an interview from the hundreds of applications the college received. I hadn't interviewed in 12 years. Yes, I was nervous, but I told myself I was excited. I moved through my first panel interview. It was kind of an out-of-body experience. I thought I did poorly, so I was really surprised to get a callback for a second interview. This is when my mental resistance started, because now it was getting serious. My ego asked me, why would you give up tenure and risk starting over? That is a serious college you are applying to, and you are not a serious person. You are going to get ground up. Dude, if you get fired, you are screwed. You won't be able to fund your kid's college. You won't be able to retire. On and on and on, my ego threw up resistance after resistance. But this vision of a better career, a better life, less commute, where I could be rewarded monetarily and be excited about teaching again. It was just this tractor beam that pulled me forward. Screw it. I'm going for it. If not now, when? When I got the call for the second round of interviews, I stopped prepping. I cleared my calendar and spent the next several days meditating. I stepped into the second interview, president, VPs, in attendance. I felt calm. I felt clear. I received a call later that week with the job offer. The old saying is, be careful what you wish for. My tenure review process was a four-year crucible of pressure and performance anxiety. I had started down a path that I could not unwind. I was fully committed. There was no turning back. The scrutiny felt relentless. It was clear some folks on my hire committee weren't very impressed with me. Yeah, this was a serious place. The stakes were high. So, Nate, you wanted to be inspired and challenged. Here you go, bro. 
Truth is, I had a lot of ground to cover. I had a lot to learn that I didn't know coming into that college. I worked nights. I worked weekends. I scrambled and scrambled until I finally became that version of myself professionally that I wanted to be and that that college wanted me to be. I wrote grants. I revamped classes. I hosted workshops. I trained and placed students as paid interns. It was a blur of effort. 2022, I am granted tenure. I found that I was exhausted. And it wasn't because of the work. It was because of the effort it took me to move through my own mental resistance. I was my own worst enemy in this process. But I had succeeded. This personal growth journey had transformed me, my financial situation, and my view of myself and my respect for myself. I believed I belong here. I believed I am good enough. So I left my old version behind. I bought my own home, a short drive to work. I was making more money. The financial boot that had been on my neck for as long as I could remember, it was finally subsiding. And I had conquered some long-established mental resistance. And then I hit a setback. Blood in my urine. First a trickle, then over weeks, enough to make you say, oh shit. I was pretty sure I had a kidney stone. It's common for men in my age range. CAT scans, invasive examinations ensued. And it turned out it wasn't a kidney stone. I had an aggressive tumor growing in my bladder. I had cancer. And I needed surgery right away. I remember driving home from that procedure, parking in my driveway, and spending the next 30 minutes trying to rehearse how I was going to break the news to my beloved Miriam. I couldn't get out of the car. I pounded the steering wheel. I raged. I finally marched out of the car and into the house. She took one look at me, and she knew. She didn't cry. She didn't react. She simply said, we will deal with it. And let me tell you, when you hear that from an Arab woman who immigrated to the U.S. from Baghdad at age 16 with her and her only her younger brother with her, when you hear that from a woman who lived in a trailer park filled with poor white people during the Iran-Contra crisis, when you hear that from a woman who fought off white trash youth trying to beat up her younger brother on the way home from school, and when you hear that from the woman who wrapped her brother's feet and her own in newspapers and cellophane so they could endure the walk in the Michigan snow to the bus stop, well, you know she meant it. We will deal with it. This was not the first time I had received a cancer diagnosis. In 1992, at age 27, I had a small skin cancer removed. I owed it to too much sun exposure. In 2003, at age 38, I had a serious diagnosis. Colon cancer, 50% survival rate. OMG. My kids were one and three at the time. This is when I discovered that I had a genetic condition. It's called Lynch syndrome. It affects 0.442% of the population, about one in 500 people, mostly folks of European descent. I remember meeting with a genetic counselor. She showed me a spreadsheet with the different genetic variants and their odds of getting cancer. In the upper right corner of her spreadsheet was the highest percentage. I remember it was above 70%. What's that one? I asked. She hesitated. That's what I have, isn't it? I asked her. She nodded yes. She bravely offered pamphlets and support group contacts. I nodded politely. 
shook her hand and left. Fuck. My grandmother had died from colon cancer at 38. She had died before I was even born. But her low-income background as a German immigrant, first generation, didn't really provide adequate health care or testing back then. So we didn't know this genetic variant was in our family line until it landed on me. Fortunately, genetic testing revealed that both of my sons were negative and none of my cousins have the gene either. It ends with me. Thank God. So here I am, 57 years old now, facing another serious cancer diagnosis. It was easy to fall into victim mode. Why now? This is the best my life has been. Why is it all going to be taken away? I've worked so hard. And then later, I've taken care of myself. I exercise. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I eat healthy. What the fuck? So I wrestle with these emotions and move through the stages of grief. Within about four days, I had arrived at acceptance. Telling myself, Nader, you've had a good run. You got 20 extra years after the last diagnosis. I've been able to see my sons grow up and I've set them up well to have a good life. My sons don't have this. It'll end with me. I can accept this. I had the surgery on August 9th. It involves going up the ureter. Yep, that's the dick. And arthroscopically cutting out the three centimeter tumor that was in my bladder. The surgery was scheduled to take two to three hours. My surgeon, Dr. Donald Crane, was very frank about outcomes and next level procedures. Frankly, they all sounded bad. We wouldn't know what my situation was until he started surgery. I told him I was DNR with no exceptions. The IV went in, the drugs hit my bloodstream, and here we go. I woke up six hours later feeling like someone had shoved a pipe cleaner up my Johnson while they held my head in a bench clamp. I looked at the clock. Six hours had passed. Shit, that took three hours longer than expected. That's not good. Spent a few days at home with a catheter, hobbling around my house, awaiting the news of the pathology report, which unfortunately was going to take seven days. Seven days of not knowing your future. I began writing long advice letters to my sons, printing them and setting them aside. I found myself printing off all my passwords and preparing my finances. I found myself informing the chair of my department that I might need to take some time off. I arranged for substitute teachers. I was bracing myself. One evening, I was home with my beloved Miriam, and I was walking her through the house, trying to recover my strength, and I was explaining how to maintain the fruit trees and how to care for the house, and a lot of it was using past tense language as far as my future. She stopped me. Why are you giving up? Straight up, she never pulled a punch. This is the woman who had all three of her kids naturally and raised them without the support of their fathers. This was a woman who still worked two jobs at 58 years old, managing her own private speech therapy practice on top of her day job. Giving up was not in her vocabulary. I stopped myself. I took a long breath, looked her in the eye and responded, Okay, Habibti, that's Arabic for beloved. You were right. I want to be here. I will fight. Three days later, not seven, I received a call at 7.48 a.m. from Kaiser. I was walking the golf course outside my house, ecstatic that the catheter had just been removed out of my body and I could move around without a leash of pain tethered to me. I answered my phone and my surgeon is on the line. Dr. Crane here in his crisp staccato delivery. Good news. The tumor appears to have not metastasized. It didn't go into your muscle wall. 
I believe I got it all. We will do a follow-up exam to confirm. Boom. Clinical, straightforward brief. I thanked him for his good work. I headed back home and laid down on the floor. Grace. I wept and I wept. I released a mountain of worry and stress that I had been carrying. My death sentence was delayed. So this recording is on August 24th, 2022. I still sit with this diagnosis, with my mortality never more clear. I will know mid-September with a follow-up procedure where I stand as far as my cancer diagnosis. Not knowing if you're going to live or die is a fear that stands right next to you as you move through your day. But the truth is, honestly, we all know the answer. We're all going to die. Maybe fully embracing that reality early can be a gift for all of us. I have found another opportunity for growth. I have found another opportunity to move through resistance, the resistance of accepting my own mortality. I believe most life challenges can be boiled down to three options. Option one, we can leave a situation. Option two, we can work to modify the situation, change it. Option three, we can accept the situation. I really like this three-choice model because it makes decision-making more clear when I'm facing a crisis or a situation. I know acceptance can sound like giving up or giving in or weakness, but I believe it's one of the most powerful decisions we can make towards increasing peace in our life. When we don't fully commit to one of those three choices, we usually end up suffering. Let's take, for example, being in a job that you hate. You want to leave the job, but financially, you need to support your family. And this is the only job available to you with your current skill set. So you stay, but you maintain the headspace of wanting to leave. This creates suffering. Instead, you could commit to actually leaving the job and be so committed to that choice that you are willing to make sacrifices, move to a different state with better employment or attend training so you can get the skills you need to work elsewhere. Or you could fully commit to modifying your current job at your current employer with full effort. You work to be transferred to a different department or a different location. Now, if you absolutely cannot commit to leaving and you cannot modify your current position, you are now left without any further mental conflict or angst. You can move to acceptance. Acceptance, again, is not about giving up. It's about choosing peace. Peace comes with knowing that your choices are yours and yours alone. So using the three-choice model, your internal dialogue with yourself might be, For now, I am not willing to move my kids to a different school, and I am not willing to risk moving into a different department in the company where I am less skilled. You've moved to acceptance because it's the right choice for you at this time. The power of choice brings peace and eliminates suffering. With my cancer diagnosis, I had to take a hard look at my career and if I wanted to quit. Did I want to choose the option one, leave? I had, after all, pushed myself very hard to make tenure. And at the end of it, I had cancer. But I also knew that that wasn't why I got cancer. I got cancer because I have the genes for it. It is what it is. I've already lived way beyond my shelf life. Who am I to get a pass on my own mortality? Nobody does. And the absolute realization and acceptance of that can actually be very freeing. So I knew I didn't want to leave my job, at least not now. If my diagnosis changes, so do my options. I also knew I didn't want to modify my job. 
I'm at the peak of my career competence. I've been teaching for 16 years. I know what I'm doing. I love working with students. There is nothing else I would rather do than be in service to students, helping them on their path to a meaningful career. So with this diagnosis, I was left with the third option, acceptance. Fully moving into acceptance as the option for me has brought me back to peace. I want to continue with the life I have because I love the life I have. I love my career. I love my habibti. I love my bros that I surf with. And my love and pride for my sons is beyond words. I've got to see them grow up. In short, I am complete. And if my health status changes, I can once again move through resistance and make new choices. I could quit my job. I could take time off. Hell, I could even buy a van and wander around the earth until I run out of money or life. It's my life to live as I wish. The streaming service Gia TV has a documentary version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It was filmed in 1994. There's a part one and a part two. Part two of this documentary follows young Tibetan disciples with a Buddhist master. There's a portion in one of the master's lessons to his disciples that really resonated with me. And I'd like to close this podcast with sharing it with you. The monk is explaining birth and death to his two disciples. Obviously, this is an English translation. His lecture to his disciples is as follows. When we come into this world as a baby, we are crying while everyone around us is filled with joy for a new life. We cry because we are a brand new soul, fresh in a new body, and we know we have been sent to earth again to live another life cycle, a cycle that has death as the final outcome of this life. We cry because our soul realizes we have not transcended this life cycle. When we leave this world and leave our bodies and die, everyone around us is crying at the loss of life, while we are filled with the joy of discarding our body and returning to enlightenment. This reminds me that death is not to be feared. It is actually the easiest part of living. It is the final lesson of letting go. My friends, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for joining me in this discussion on moving through resistance. I hope you can check out some of the reads that I mentioned and put some of these resistance busters into practice. Thank you for listening. For more about this podcast, go to coldwaterhotcoffee.com. If you want to learn more about me, click the About button on our website menu. Remember, we're here to help you reclaim the fire of your youth. You're not done yet with life. Let's fill the tank. Let's get you back on the road. Thanks for joining me for episode five of Cold Water Hot Coffee.